Hello again and welcome to the Nitty Rich Show and the 10th episode of the 2019 season. I'm Rich Scarcella of the Reading Eagle, your host. You can find this podcast at ReadingEagle.com and wherever podcasts are available. We welcome your feedback. We're going to do something a little different on this episode during bye week number two. We're going to take a long look at Penn State's previous three 8-0 teams during the Big Ten era. They would be from 1994, 1999, and 2008. We're going to examine what happened to them and, and how they compare or how they might compare to the unbeaten 2019 team, which is 8-0 going into next week's showdown at Minnesota. Joining me on this week's episode are Mark Brennan of Lions 247, Neil Rudell of the Altoona Mirror, and Mike Porman of StateCollege.com, a panel with tremendous experience on the Penn State football beat. You might say we're the elder statesmen. Uh, Mark Brennan will be joining us first. Welcome back to the show, big man. Wow, I, uh, you know, when you put it that way, I'm actually the younger statesman of all the elder <laughs> statesmen, so I'm feeling pretty good about myself today. Yeah, you should. I mean, absolutely. Uh, can you tell the listeners where they can find your work? Alliance 247. Just Google it, or you can Google our old site name, fightonstate.com. Put in any of those things, and you can get to our site. You can follow me at Mark X Brennan on Twitter. I'm the Mark X Brennan on Twitter. Okay, thank you. We're going to talk about the 2008 Penn State team, which finished 11 and two, and eighth in the major polls after a 38-24 loss to USC in the Rose Bowl. The Lions that year won their first eight games by an average of more than 33 points, which surprised me when I look back on it. Uh, before beating Penn's, uh, be, before beating Ohio State, thirteen six for a r- rare win in Columbus. Uh, Mark, what do you remember about those first nine games? I, you know, it was one of those years where I think when Penn State went into that season, I seem to recall everybody expecting to to to, to lose maybe two or three games. I don't know that anybody was really looking at it as a Big Ten title-type team. I think there were some still a few questions uh, at quarterback. Uh, they weren't quite sure what was going to happen there. Uh, but overall, I thought it was a lot like this year in that the schedule early on, I think, set up really well for them. Mm-hmm. Um, they were able to kind of get some momentum and then carry that into November. The, the difference, I think, that year uh, to this year is that year they had a lot of veteran players. So even though Daryl Clark still had another year after that, he had been around. Uh, their offensive line especially was a very veteran group with A.Q. Shipley and Warnberger and those guys. So yeah. I think that, especially the O-line, I think to me that was the difference. And they obviously had a, a running back in Evan Royster who you know ended up being a really good back. Uh, for Penn State, he was kind of the guy. I guess Stephon Green also did some stuff, but Evan Royster, I think, was more the the, the main back. But I don't know that that group was as um, explosive. They had some really good receivers, obviously, with Derek Williams and company, uh, but I don't know that they had kind of the explosiveness of the K.J. Hamlers and some of the kids that they have this year. So those are just some of kind of the general thoughts. I uh, Again, one of those years where I, I didn't go back and look, Rich. I'm not sure if you did at where they were in the preseason rankings. I, I think it was, you know, in the teens or, mm-hmm. or, or low 20s. I just don't think anybody was looking at that as a year that Penn State was going to have that big of a year. And, again, the schedule kind of played to their strengths, and they were able to 
it wasn't an overwhelming schedule, let's, let's put it that way. Yeah. And they were able to gain momentum and carry that into November. Which is similar to this year. I mean, the, yeah. the schedule, ha- it was this year's schedule is kind of built nice for this team to develop. It It's sort of built up to where they're at right now. Hey, that offense, um, you, you mentioned Daryl Clark at quarterback, Derek Williams at wide receiver, and Evan Royster at running back. And then, yeah, those guys, the veteran guys on the offensive line who are or, by the way, real characters, especially oh especially Shipley yeah, yeah. and Ornberger. Yeah. Um, yeah. But they were – I mean, they rolled up – I don't know what the points – how many – I mean, I'm looking at these numbers. They went – they scored 66, 45, 55, 45, 38, 20 in a, in a real bad, um, extremely windy day at West Lafayette. And then 48 at Wisconsin. That's and then 46 against Michigan. Um, but, yeah, I mean, but if you look, only one of those teams that they played in that opening stretch was ranked, and it was Illinois, which was 22nd. So that's right. that's my point. I mean, yeah. actually, I would say that this year's team to get to eight and zero did more. It, it, ultimately, yeah, has has done more. Okay. Uh, but okay. I, I think if you look at early in the year, I guess that was more my point is that. This team had to kind of walk, learn how to walk before it could run, with, especially offensively with all the young yeah. players. You know, a new starting quarterback, new featured running backs. Uh, obviously, K.J. Hamler and Friermuth have, have, had played a lot of football, but mm-hmm. not to the extent that, you know, Derek Williams and uh, Norwood and Deion right. Butler and that crew had. So I just right. think, you know, this year the schedule really played out uh, – allowed it to them to kind of build and build and build and build and then they were ready when you had to go to Iowa to play a ranked Iowa team yeah and then take yeah. on a ranked Michigan team and then obviously play a Michigan State team that I think people thought was going to be better than it is yeah what so the defense what I remember from the defense is that Navarro Bowman and Sean Lee were linebacker and that they played pretty well in those first nine games um, what do you remember from the defense yeah, I mean, that's, that's pretty much it. I mean, that was in the middle of that run where, and it all started with Paul Puzlowski, mm-hmm. uh, where they just kept rolling out one great linebacker after another. Yep. I mean, the job Ron Vanderlinden did uh, with that defense and with those linebackers, you know, to me, it was just amazing. Um, and they, they were also really stout on the D-line. I mean, Audrick was on that team, wasn't he? And there was, I mean, they yeah. had Josh Gaines. Yeah, that, that yeah. line was really deep. I think that was before some of the kids were run off. I don't remember, was Chris Baker on that? But he was a no. guy who went into the NFL for a long time after he mm-hmm. uh, transferred from Penn State. But I think as good as the linebackers were, I remember that defensive line being just tremendously deep yeah. and just had a lot of guys who went on to play in the league. Yeah. Um, so they go to Ohio. There ain't no and they go to Ohio State. And, and Joe Paterno is – who's got all kinds of hip issues apparently that we um is up in the press box I'll never, I won't forget that um and it's it's a really tight game they're playing Ohio State and Terrell Pryor uh kid from Western PA who played quarterback for the Buckeyes I'm sure most of the people listening remember um and it comes down to Mark Rubin forcing a Terrell Pryor fumble near midfield, and Bowman recovered, right? I forget who recovered. Yeah, what? Ruben to me, was, I mean, Ruben was the guy who. Yeah. Uh, he had he 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 was under some heat that year because he wasn't a great cover guy. He was no. almost like a linebacker playing playing safety. 
but when they needed a play, he obviously came through with a big play. And the funny thing about Terrell Pryor, this is almost hard to believe, but at that time, well, not at that time, uh, for all time, he ended up being the last recruiting prospect that oh. Joe Paterno actually visited uh, right. in his at his home, yeah. I forgot at, about at Terrell that, yeah. Pryor's home. Mm-hmm. So that's what you're talking about. That you were that was a kid. That was the last guy, and that's how, think about how different that is from today. Huh. When just yeah. this week, this coming weekend, uh, there there won't be at home visits yet. But James Franklin will be on the road all over creation during mm-hmm. this bye week. You know, visiting, going, and watching. Uh, you know, high school football games and prospects mm-hmm. and 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 keeping up with people. So that's. I know that was a little bit off uh, off topic. No, that's Everyone a good. Think of Terrell Pryor. Yeah, that's that's what I think about. He was the yeah. last guy. That was a tough loss for Penn State. You know, an in-state kid who was just really a terrific player. Did well at Ohio State. Right. Uh, and I'll also remember, you know, the photos of him on the sideline after that game because that was obviously a big game for him. Yeah. And I oh, remember yeah. him with kind of his hand, his head in his hands. Uh, that was just a gigantic win for Penn State on a lot of different levels. Um, you know, you, you, you never want to say you, you want a kid to feel bad for going to a different school, but for Penn State, that had to be a little extra sweet, knowing you lost a guy that good to a to a to a, 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 a your arguably your biggest rival in the conference. We're, we're talking with Mark Brennan of Lions two four seven. Mark, and offensively, that game that was the, the game that Daryl Clark suffered a mild concussion, and yeah. Pat Devlin came in and led them to a touchdown without completing a pass. <laughs> yeah, but that's just as well. I mean, go ahead. Remember, remember the pass interference? They, they got a big pass interference call. I think it was on third down. I can't remember exactly. But do you remember that series? I, I don't remember that series per se. What I do remember is that I always look back at that. You know, I thought that was kind of the beginning of the end for Devlin at Penn State. Yeah, that he realized he could go into a big game, and even though he wasn't making big time plays, mm-hmm. I think he got a taste of what that atmosphere was like, and ultimately transferred even right. before the Rose Bowl, if I recall right. correctly. That's correct. Yeah, I think was it uh, was it Paul Cianciolo or somebody was the backup quarterback yeah. in the Rose Bowl. Oh man, that's a name I haven't thought played. about. Yeah, that's a name I haven't thought about in a while. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So they really needed Daryl Clark to to be able to to do what he needed to do uh, in that Rose Bowl. Uh, that's a whole different story. But, yeah, I mean, to me, I thought that was – whenever I think back to that drive, I, I think less about the actual plays, more that Penn State was able to pull out the win in a place where, as you said, uh, there haven't been a whole heck of a lot of wins. Yeah. And then uh, I think that was ultimately what led, you know, you to Devlin getting a taste of things and deciding to transfer yeah. to Delaware. So they win that game, and it's it, – you're right. It was a huge game, a monstrous game. They get a bye. Well, hold if on, that... one thing. Do you remember what the weather was like for that game? Was it? Was it? I think it was a little cold, right? It was what? chilly. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I don't. I mean, I don't, there was no snow, but I remember either the morning of the game or the morning after the game, um, there was a little bit of of, of uh, there were flurries on the ground. I do remember that. Yeah. And that was. So I, I, yeah. So there's one other key po- 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 uh, point to, to that game that ended up impacting them in the next game. And just by fate, I I happened to talk to Brad Caldwell before the Iowa game this year. Mm-hmm. And he was uh, he was 
talking about how I say I'm fairly certain it was that Ohio State game that they're at Ohio State and they had heaters on the sideline. Mm-hmm. There was a play, I forget if it was a kickoff or kick coverage, uh, where somebody had been bumped up and they needed a backup to go out on the field. And when, when they were calling for the backup, they couldn't find him. And it turned out he was backed by the heaters. Oh, and geez. Joe went nuts and said, you know, and I forget, it may not have been a kickoff. It could have been a punt. It could have been something. And Spider tells the, the, the Brad Spider Caldwell yeah. tells the story way better than I am. But it did come into play. Uh, so what ends up happening is Joe says to Spider and everybody else, you know, we are not going to have heaters on the sideline. Yeah, I, I do don't remember. care. Mm-hmm. You know, that almost cost us getting a player in. So from there, so you could pick up the narrative from there going into the bye week and then out to Iowa. Right. So out in Iowa, it was really cold out there. I, I don't remember the, the exact temperature. It was I, in the 30s. Yeah. And it was with windy. Wind, with yeah. wind gusts up yeah. to 30 miles an hour, yeah. which put the wind chill into the low 20s. Yeah. And it was. Yeah. It was worse because of the wind. So if it were, you know, in the teens or, or 10 degrees or whatever, yeah. I think it would have been much easier to play that game yeah. than it was, you know, in the low 30s with those tremendous yeah. winds well, here's, for a college football game. Here's, here's a couple notes that I just took down be, um, before we recorded. Uh, Joe had a choice, I guess, in the third quarter – and he took the wind in the third quarter, and he said after the game because he wanted to put it away. And so I don't want to get ahead of the, but that impacted the game at the end. Uh, Penn State dropped four passes. Sean Lee didn't play. He was hurt. Of course, the Anthony Scarato disputed pass interference penalty. Lydell Sargent dropped a potential interception in the third quarter with no one in front of him. And Daryl Clark played his worst game of the season. And two weeks after having a concussion. So uh, let's fast forward to that last drive with and, and starting with the Scarato P.I. penalty. Were you on the field at that point? You know, I don't think I was at that point. I don't think Brennan Cam was, was oh, quite okay. a thing at that point. But gotcha. I will say that I, I, one, one thing that I remember in that game, Rich, was the fact that uh, Jeremy Boone, I remember seeing yep. him, but I remember there's no heaters on the sideline. Uh-huh. So he was huddled between two equipment things wow. boxes and I just remember he looked like he was freezing and the other thing was they they I don't know if it was a mistake or what happened but the jackets that they brought like we saw last week where Penn State had like these rain gear things uh-huh. they had similar things that Iowa that year but they didn't bring the liners Ooh. now why does that make a difference if you go back and look that was a field position game. Jerry, Jeremy Boone, who had, who had a really good career for mm-hmm. Penn State, ended up averaging 36 yards per punt in that game. Yeah, well, because so the winds, like, like you said, the winds, you know, you're, you're kicking into a 25, 30-mile-an-hour wind a lot of the game. Yeah, and that's my point. Yeah. It? So, you know, the, the Joe being kind of the old-school coach he was. Yeah didn't want to have those heaters and honest to goodness people may think that sounds silly but in a game that came down to a single point uh the decision not to have those heaters was absolutely ridiculous and then do you remember the next week they played i think it was michigan state and had heaters on the sideline they played played indiana and and michigan state at home their last two games so so anyway it's it's 23 21 penn state and iowa drives down the field with the help of the pass interference penalty on Scarato, 
Yeah. With the, now, for, don't forget, now, Iowa has the wind at its back. Daniel Murray kicks a 31-yard field goal with the 25-mile-an-hour wind at his back to win the game. I remember standing in the new tunnel, which, I mean, it's there now, and I, I could see the kick, and then I could just hear the crowd. I was, and it was, it was, it was as loud as I've heard a crowd. Um, and that was. Yeah, well, I also, I also remember Ricky Stanzi was big on that on that drive. Yes, he was. Besides the PI, he had a couple of big completions. Yes, and that came to mind when we were out at Iowa mm-hmm. this year, and it was hilarious. It was like bring back. You know, yeah. former players' day, yeah. and they they introduced Ricky Stanzi like seventeen times, didn't yeah. they? And he got a standing ovation every single time. They and, and I'm thinking, what the heck did this guy do that was so great? And yeah. then I, it's just occurring to me now because I wasn't kind of in the mode of looking backward. That you know that if you talk to Iowa people, they look back at that game as one of the biggest wins. Oh, that Iowa sure. has, has had. Oh my gosh! And yeah, it was Ricky Stanzi. He was right in the middle of it all. Yeah. It was, I mean, it was a devastating loss for Penn State. You know, they, they get by Ohio State and Columbus for one of the rare times, and they're feeling good like, hey, you know, I think that was the, the BCS era. It and, was. And, you know, like maybe we could we could win it all here. Who knows? And then they lose to Iowa, and then I think, yeah, they dropped to number seven. They routed Indiana at home, routed Michigan State at home to clinch a trip to the Rose Bowl, and then – in the Rose Bowl, um, Mark Sanchez owes the Penn State secondary, or not owes the Penn State. Uh, he uh, can thank the Penn State secondary uh, for the big contract he got and and being drafted as high as he was by the New York Jets. Just, just well, and that's one thing, Rich, that I, I think we should probably touch on is that you know I remember that year that Penn State secondary. Um, that was not a good secondary. No, and they and they, you know outside of hey Mark Rubin, great guy, Scarado, you know good person. Uh, you know Rubin made the huge play against Ohio State, but what you have to look back at is they went through the Big Ten, and I don't think they faced a really good quarterback that whole year. Terrell Pryor was still pretty young, and he was not a great quarter, great great passing quarterback. Right, right. I mean, who was the best quarterback they faced that year before getting to the Rose Bowl? And then you get to the Rose Bowl, and whatever anybody wants to say about Mark Sanchez and his NFL career, he was a very good college quarterback. Oh, he was really good. And, it, yeah. and, it, yeah. and, it, and it, he looked like a man among boys in terms of ripping up oh. secondary. They just yeah. did not have the athletic ability. Uh, what an eye-opener that was. And that was one of those deals where that secondary was good enough to, to get them to seven and one in the Big Ten, and only one loss on the entire season, mm-hmm. but they had not faced a very talented quarterback. No. I, I would imagine. I would think this year, you know, it it, it remains to be seen, um, but I would think that this year they 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 will have faced clearly after the Ohio State game. I think when you factor that in with Fields. Uh, a better group of quarterbacks than they faced that year during the regular season. Well, that's my next question. My last question to you is, how would you compare that team to this team? Well, that team, I think, was more of a team that was kind of um, on the – there were so many more veterans on that team. And to me, this team is like it's a year ahead of schedule. Mm -hmm. I think this is a much – it's obviously a much younger team across the board. And I think part of that owes to, uh, you know, coming out of the sanctions era, 
and then Penn State was able to put together these uh, outstanding recruiting cla- recruiting classes the last however many years. You had a bunch of veteran guys who probably weren't going to play a lot who decided to enter the transfer portal, and that forced a lot of young guys into key roles. And I think this year, this year's team, again, younger, overachieving, a year ahead of schedule. That team was a more veteran team. Again, Daryl Clark was a junior at that point. The O line uh, had been around, uh, you know, those guys. And Hakey Shipley still in the league, still playing, still doing a good job. Right, right. Uh, the receivers had played a ton of football. I mean, they were all part of that 2005 mm-hmm. team. So that was a very, very veteran team, as opposed to this one that you look at. And I think everybody expected a bit of a dip the following year, which happened. You know, they end up losing, I think, what was it, three games and going to the Citrus Bowl or whatever it was called at the time. Whereas I think this team, people are looking at as, okay, they're a year ahead of schedule. However, however these last few games play out, uh, I think you're going to be looking at a team that's going to be a clear top 10 team next year, where I don't think that was the case in 2008. I think that was more a culmination of something. Yeah, I agree with you. I agree. Like next year going into the season, they, yeah, they'll be, they'll be without in my mind, they'll without a doubt be ranked in the top 10. Mark, Thank you. Thank you. As always, we're back on the Nittany Rich Show and joined by Neil Rudell of the Altoona Mirror. Happens to be the managing editor there. Neil began covering Penn State football when there were fullbacks and quarterback sneaks. And he's going to join me to talk about Penn State's 1994 team. Welcome back to the show. Thank you, Rich. And where can the listeners find your work? Oh, uh, here Come and buy a print edition in Blair County. Uh, Come on your way through on 99. We have 10 pages of sports print edition on Saturday. Probably have one of the best high school football and Penn State coverage uh, in the state combination. Um, If you're not through here and you can't buy a print edition, then look on altunamir.com. How's that? Thanks for the plug. That sounds wonderful. Hip, hip, hooray for print newspapers. How about Uh, it? Long live. Long live them. 1994 Penn State team. Five first-team All-Americans on offense, which I don't think we will ever see again. I don't know if it's ever been duplicated. Kerry Collins, Kijana Carter, Kyle Brady, Jeff Hardings, and Bobby Ingram with a very experienced offensive line. Um, what do you remember about the offense that year? Well, I think the running joke was that it had been half the season before Joe even called a play. <laughs> that uh, they the script that they would enter the games with the first 15 or so plays uh, and for, with Franny Ganner at the helm, um, you know, they were just sort of rolling along, and nobody could stop them. It was a 35 nothing against Iowa at halftime in 94. Yes. yes. Um, you know, they, had, uh, they were just such a dominant team, so much fun to watch. Uh, of course, people will remember the drives they mm-hmm. did have to have. Yep, we'll get to that. Uh, and yep. had to figure out what plays they wanted to run at Illinois when they weren't ready to play and fell behind. Uh, but just what a collection of talent to be able to watch that, to be able to beat Ohio State uh, by 50 points, uh, go to Michigan, 
and Collins hits Ingram, you know, for the game winner and just uh, really set the tone in the early years for the Big Ten and what they could achieve. Yeah. I mean, it was it was a really fun team to cover and watch. Um, would you uh, you want to take a guess, Neil, where they were ranked at the beginning of the season? Oh, um, I know they went up to Michigan. They were were they three? They were three they went to Michigan. Yeah, they were three when they went to Michigan. But I'm talking about in the or, beginning of the season. At the beginning of the season, were they ranked seven? Nine. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, they had lost the previous yep. year to Michigan and Ohio State. Right. Didn't look right. really particularly good in either game, certainly not in, in uh, Columbus, where they never played no. well, uh, you know, in the uh, in the Big Ten, really. Uh, almost never. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, not, uh, I'm sure they were under, obviously they were underestimated at that time. Um, but, uh, you know, hey, your guy Collins, I thought made it all go. I mean, yeah. he just was fantastic, and the offensive line he was barely touched. Yeah, Neil, when did you, um, they open the season? They crushed their first five opponents, and you mentioned uh, Iowa and including USC. And USC might have been thirty-five nothing at the half too, or something close to that. When did you realize that the offense was as good as it was? Was there a game? One quick point. Didn't they open the season at Minnesota? Well, that's what I was going to get at. That's when I realized it. They they, they just they look they scored fifty six against Minnesota at the uh, the old yeah. Metrodome. Yeah, kind of funny story. I don't know how much time you have, Rich. We have time. Go ahead. Yeah, that's, got time. But for some reason, um, that game wasn't on. Like, of course, it predate way predated the Big Ten Network, and I don't think it was on ESPN. But Channel 10 here in Altoona um, did the game. It was Jim Gregory, who's now in Harrisburg as a state representative, and Paul Alexander. Wow. And I know you know both yeah. guys quite yeah, well. Yeah, I do. Uh, Paul was in state college. They both were at TV 10, WTAJ, and um, Paul was kind of the Penn State guy, and Jim was the play-by-play guy. These two guys did it, and, it, and Penn State was scoring – so fast that at one point they were off on a break at one point and they came back and Penn State had scored. And Paul's Paul's comment was, this is ridiculous. Now, he said it because they weren't on the air when the, <laughs> when the touchdown happened. And yet ESPN and everybody else who had picked up the feed of the game, because, you know, there, there was enough people around the state that were able to watch it, but then the networks were picking up bits and pieces and highlights. That was the comment that was on, on ESPN. It just said, this is ridiculous. And, you know, they showed the score. <laughs> it was pretty funny. Yeah, I mean, that, I, I think they had close to 600 yards that night. And, and honestly, this you know, this thing happened. I, I don't think the first team played more than a series or two in the, sec, in, in the second half, like like a lot of games. So they, they, they roll through. They're 5-0. They're number three. They go to play number five, Michigan, which has one loss, and that's the loss, the, the infamous loss to Colorado and Cordell Stewart on the Hail Mary play. And you, you mentioned Kerry Collins to Bobby Ingram uh, for the game-winning touchdown with about three or four minutes left. What else do you remember from that game, if anything? Well, what you just mentioned, Rich, because Colorado beat Michigan, that screwed it up. Um, 
had Penn State had Michigan beaten Colorado, uh, it, you know, right away, it would it would have been a more uh, you know Penn State would have had more to gain in the rankings than they did because they were really swimming upstream that whole year. If you remember the rankings, whether they were one or two, right? But it, I think it hurt them that uh, Colorado upset Michigan that day on kind of a fluky play. Right. Well, what happened was two weeks later, they did move up to number one going into right. the Ohio State game in both polls. And this is still the most one of the most remarkable things you're ever going to see. They routed Ohio State 63-14. Ohio State was ranked number 21. And they dropped... The Lions dropped to number two in the Associated Press poll that week. Stayed at number one in the coaches' poll, but dropped because Nebraska, which was either two or four, I can't remember how it was lined up, beat Colorado, and Nebraska moved up to number one in the AP poll and, you know, stayed there the rest of the season, as we know. And that, Yeah, I mean, that's yeah. Tom Osborne at that point was kind of a sentimental choice. Yeah. Um, Penn State, I think, was never really fully embraced by the Midwestern. Not at that so time. They were like no. uh, they, they had a you know a ship without an island. I mean they they were they had alienated the East by leaving, and they weren't fully welcomed into the Midwest. And that's and some of those things uh, you know bore themselves out, whether it was rankings or All Star teams or things like that. Um, you know, hey, it was it was unfortunate. You know, they were they were the kingpin in the East for so long, and it was just a kind of a tough marriage. In a lot of ways, it's still not easy. But you know, they've uh, clearly become you know twenty five, twenty seven years. Yeah, they're more accepted. But I don't know that anybody's ever felt. I mean, you know, for, at one point, you know, they called for a complete reevaluation <laughs> of all the officiating. <laughs> well, okay, let's, they let's, did. Yeah. I, Maybe he did. <laughs> yeah, somebody did. Um, he who's no longer with us. Yeah. Um, so after Ohio State, Penn State goes on the road and plays at Indiana. A pretty good. I mean, they weren't ranked, but I think they were still half decent. And were Penn State was ahead thirty five fourteen, and they give up fourteen points. What Neil in the last two minutes? And it ends up thirty-five twenty-nine, and Penn State drops to number two in the coaches' poll, and there's just an outcry in Pennsylvania, and uh, you know nothing changed. I mean that's the rest of the way. Um, and, the- and I thought that um, it was so unfortunate. I do give Joe credit because he he was not one of these guys that really was trying to. Add that extra no. touchdown at the end. Uh, you know, he took so many knees inside the 10 rather than run a play and win the game 22-7 uh, so so often yeah. um, and let the game end. You know, James is not necessarily taking knees, but I noticed the other day, I mean, there was probably one more staff he could have got off and in a year right. or so ago he might have. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, the other day at Michigan State. So, but I remember standing in the end zone at 35-14 at Indiana. And I was and with Brian you. Gelsheiser stripped the quarterback and was headed the other way. And this was about two and a half yep. minutes to go. Mm-hmm. And it was going to be 42-14. Yep. Well, 
They brought it back. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was a bang bang call. Could have gone either way. Whatever. They brought it back, and then Indiana scored. So they make it twenty-one. They kick an onside kick, mm-hmm. and they throw like a you know really like a hail mary, and yeah. it just doesn't end well. Uh, but had had Gelsheiser scored, now it's forty-two to fourteen. Yeah, right, right, right. I mean, it was it was a deceiving final score by those. I mean, those of us who were there, you know, it, I mean, Penn State dominated the game except for the last couple minutes. Neil, so they they that improved. They improved to eight zero, which is how we got in, started here with this show. Uh, so just like the twenty nineteen team, they're eight zero. They go the ninety four team goes to Illinois, which has two. I think they were first-round picks on defense, Simeon Rice and Kevin Hardy, fall behind 21 nothing. Right. And what are you thinking at 21 nothing? Well, I mean, it was just a, a bad atmosphere out there. You remember they had uh, problems in their hotel with right. a power outage, and they had to bring pizza in because the, uh, the electricity wasn't working. And, you know, we knew that team was great, and and Joe always said, you know, there's going to be a time, uh, and and he he um, created some adversity for them, not necessarily that day, but there mm-hmm. were times over the years where they're locked into some sort of a battle with Maryland or Temple, um, you know, and like I said, he found out with you know about his team in some games that they don't necessarily weren't intended. Um, you know that they were better than, and and he created some adversity. In this case, you know they really weren't ready to play. And I thought, hey, um, this could be it. But you know that team was so good, and when they, in the clutch, they were able to drive the ball, right? Uh, you know, ninety-five yards. Yeah, ninety-six yard drive into the wind, into the rain. They took over with like six minutes, six six minutes and change, and they scored. Brian Mill and the fullback. Scored um, with 50, I think 58 seconds left to put Penn State at 35-31. Kerry Collins, the former Wilson standout who just was enshrined in the College Football Hall of Fame, I don't think threw an incompletion on that drive, right, Neil? I think it was 7-for-7. Just a a memorable, memorable drive. And then they still needed Kim Herring to make an interception in the end zone to seal it at the end, right? Yeah. And if you look at that drive, uh, and Blue White Illustrated just uh, featured this with Lou Prado, mm-hmm. uh, their historian. I was looking at the play-by-play of that last drive, and a, you know, I know uh, some of the younger people on the beat, you know, Audrey Snyder and company, <laughs> joke with me about the fullback and the double yeah. tight end and these things. Well, if you look at that drive when Milne was a central figure, oh, yeah. picking up first downs. Uh, whether they were throwing him the ball or whether he was running, they were putting Jason Slode and Keith Olsaber. I mean, this was an elephant set jumbo power yeah. football when they had to absolutely had to have it. And the other thing, Richie, was, you know, whether it was Carter or Milne or uh, Ingram or Brady or Collins throwing it, Freddie Scott. Mm-hmm. I mean, they continued to to spread the ball around. Right. They never, they ne- and not, I don't remember a drop pass on that drive. Or there wasn't a drop pass because he was seven for seven. I mean, they, yeah, you're right. They were open. And they, you know, 
and I'll give Franny Gander a ton of credit or whoever called the plays in that drive, whether he or Joe did, but both of them deserve credit because they didn't try to force the ball and try to throw the ball long. They just picked apart the uh, Illinois defense. Yeah, I'm not sure the longest play was much more than uh, 16 or 18 yards right. on that drive. Right, right. They never went deep. It was it was a it was a pretty remarkable drive. Um, so Neil, they win that. They survive that. Um, they're still they're still ranked second. They route Northwestern at home. They route Michigan State at home to wrap up the regular season, eleven and zero. And they go to the Rose Bowl and. <laughs> The night before the Rose Bowl, do you remember what happened? Yeah, Nebraska beat Miami and, yeah. uh, you know, was basically declared the national champion. Yeah. And it was just such a hollow feeling. Um, you know, hey, you know, the, the system is better now than it, than it once was. In a lot of ways, you know, it, it works now, whereas it didn't. We were denied that matchup. Right. I will never think that that Nebraska team would have beaten Penn State. No, I won't oh. either. I won't either. Yeah. And, you know, I consider that team every bit as worthy of a national champion as, you know, the 86 team. Um, when you look at the 82 team, you know, granted, they won head-to-head matchups on the field. But this team, I think, can can stand as tall as – as any other, you know, yeah. the 68, 69 guys, 73, uh, and the ones that uh, have won championships. Neil, it's, I mean, we're talking 25 years apart here, um, but how would you compare that 94 team to this 2019 team, both at 8 0 uh, here at the end of, uh, uh, the end of October, going into, the, going into November? Wow, um, I think that th- I think this team is um, is a little more reliable and solid and consistent so far on defense mm-hmm. uh, than that team was, and I think the defense has been the strength of this team. You know, granted, Clifford has exceeded expectations, but when you look back at that team, all the top round draft choices, unbelievable, the offensive line. Uh, carry a seasoned product, and look at the running backs, Rich. I mean, these yep. guys are have a lot of potential. Uh, they, can't, uh, I mean, you know, they, but we're not we're not comparing them to Kijana Carter right now. You can't. No, and I mean, you know, the uh, the revolving door is working most of the time. It has worked this year, but I mean, those guys were just terrific pros back then. Uh, even Stephen Pitts. Archie's guys all played the NFL. Yeah, yeah, it was it was just a great offensive team. They weren't as good defensively as this one is. They weren't as fast, um, but yeah, the offense the offense was an offense for the ages. I think they still hold the the, the Big Ten record for scoring average in, in you know forty seven points a game. It, it's it, it it was such a such a fun team to watch. Neil and even look at some of the guys that were totally overshadowed. Uh, Joe Jarevich, yeah, uh, who was a great player. Yeah, so I mentioned Freddie Scott. I mean, because you know their main weapons were Collins, Carter, uh, Brady, Brady, and Ingram. Yeah, yeah, just just a terrific offense. Neil, I appreciate the time. Look forward to seeing you 
um, out in Minnesota. Welcome back to the Nittany Rich Show. We're joined in this segment by Mike Porman of statecollege.com. Mike has followed Penn State football probably longer than I have, which means that's a very, very long time. Mike, welcome to the show. Uh, thanks for having me, and I always love that, Disney Rich, man. That is so cool. Well, I can't take credit for that. That is uh, somebody you know came up with that name, who's oh. closely related to me. Okay, well. Who you had in class. Oh, oh, really? Yeah. Love it. Yeah. Good brand. Good branding. Good branding. Thank you. Mike, um, just before we get started, can you tell the listeners where they can find your work? Yeah, I write uh, for statecollege.com online. It's a free site. Uh, Year-round, I post columns on Sunday and Thursday night. And then during the season, I'll write one or two stories um, after games in addition to that. But Sunday and Thursday nights for the last, last 10 years. State Mike is is really really good at crunching numbers, and that's one thing that um, I I really enjoy what he does. He he has a he has a different way of looking at numbers, and, and I like that. So we're going to look at this number, nineteen ninety nine. Uh, the night the Penn State Nittany Lions began the year eight and zero, just like the twenty nineteen Nittany Lions. Um, Mike, what do you remember about those first eight games? I'm guessing um, the Arizona game really stuck, sticks out because it was number three against number four, but also the two really thrilling games at Miami and at Purdue. What, do you, what are your thoughts on those first eight games? Well, yeah, I think uh, you're right. Arizona you know, came in, and they were on a big hot streak, 3-4 to start the season. Um, you know, and... And when you add, when you throw in Arizona, which is number four, and they go down to Miami, number eight, when you're beating two top ten teams to start the season, I mean that they were on their way. And you throw in, I think Lavar was on the cover of the preseason issue mm-hmm. of Sports Illustrated. I mean they had a lot of a lot of star power, and then they go on and beat Ohio State, and they beat Drew Brees, and he was even Drew Brees back then, wasn't he, Rich? I mean, oh my gosh, he was he was terrific. Talent. Yeah, he was terrific, and. That game at Purdue, they um, Purdue had the ball either at the ten or at the nine. I don't remember. I think it was at the ten yard line late, and had had a first down at the Penn State ten, and the deep Penn State defense stopped them four times. And I I remember stand. I was I at the, did, but, go ahead. No, it was close game throughout. I mean, it was, you know, they barely pulled it out. Yeah, yeah, it was a it was a tremendous game. I remember standing at the the other end of Ross Age Stadium from where Purdue was going. They were going at they were at the other end into the closed end of the horseshoe. And um I, I, I really couldn't believe it. I thought for sure Breeze was gonna uh lead Purdue into the end zone. That that was exciting. Um and I remember I don't know if were you um Frank Rocco, who I think is still alive, isn't he? He is, and he was still coaching then. Yeah. He was part. Of, he was the administrative assistant, right, right? Right. And the next morning in the Indianapolis airport, I run into him because I, I, I guess he, I, I'm pretty sure he never traveled with the team. He did because he, he was kind of like the he'd go early and then go back late. And he said, he goes after last night, 
I think this is a team of destiny. You just, you know, you get breaks. And I'm thinking to myself, wow, if somebody like that who's been in football for so long is thinking that he, he really thought they were going to go unbeaten. And I think a lot of people did. But as we know, Mike, the next week was a home game against 5-3 and three Minnesota. Uh, what do you remember from that day? We, I mean, there's a lot to, 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 uh, to chew, but what do you remember from that game? Well, I think they were nine and zero. They had after Purdue, right? That, oh, Illinois. Right, I forgot about that. Yes, they were. I'm sorry. They they go in, and Minnesota's not a great team, and it's homecoming. It's a, it's a late late season homecoming. It was a beautiful day. I mean, it was you know blue uh, perfect. Everything was set up great. You know the uh, uh, it, they were not ranked. It was not expected to be a close game, and I just. Uh, I just remember that last drive with 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 the, with the hail mary and making the field goal, and, and and looking over my notes of this afternoon, that was the first walk off loss that Joe ever had. And interestingly, it was his 400th game. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That game was set up to be the seminal contest that would, and they were number two, uh, just supposed to be a precursor going to you know playing Michigan the next week at home and. It came out of nowhere, and it not only was started to decline for the season, but I think for the program. It was, I think it was that devastating a loss. I remember that day so vividly. Um, you know, we, we didn't even talk about this. I should have set this up better, but Penn State had three, three first-team All-Americans on defense. LeVar Arrington, Courtney Brown, who the following spring would be the number one and number two picks in the NFL draft, and Brandon Short. And they had played very well to that point. And it just wasn't fathomable, I think. It was unfathomable to, I think there was 96,000 people there, to think that a Minnesota team could, could drive down the field in the last two minutes against that defense, and um, I, I, what do you, what do you remember most from that drive? Well, I remember the the, the catch. It was it was fourth and long, and it was mm-hmm. tipped, and it was fingertip, and it was you know these days there might have been a review on the call, right? Um, yeah, maybe you're right. Yeah, I, I what I remember mostly was. After that catch, and there were a few plays after that, but after that catch, the feeling was the game was over. I mean, that's, uh, I think that catch, that play on the fourth and, I think it was fourth and 16, Yes, that, that was the blow more than the field goal was the blow, from what I remember. Well, here, here's something that I didn't remember till I did go back and look at, 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 at that game. Glenn Mason, apparently, I guess he says, the Collegian did a really good story 10 years ago. Um, and Glenn Mason told somebody from the Collegian that they, they started from the, they took over at their own 20 because Joe Paterno decided to punt instead of try a field goal from the Minnesota 33. And um, oh, who was the kicker that, who was the punter that year? I'm drawing a blank. Um, the Somebody, punter was Pat Pidgeon. And, I mean, he put, and he hit it into the end zone, and it was a touchback. And Mason told his offensive coaches, run the hail, run our Hail Mary play 
on, and they're going on first down. And they, he said yes. And the quarterback's name was Billy Cockerham, and he threw a 46-yard completion to Ron Johnson to the Penn State 34. And then LeVar Arrington sacked Cockerham, and then he threw two incomplete passes, and it's fourth and 16. And then he throws the tip pass to that name I'll never forget, Arland Bruce, and he caught it for 27 yards. And uh, I think they took a knee or two after that. And do you remember the field goal, how close LeVar came to, to, to blocking it? Mike? No. It was really close, though, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I don't remember that, but what I read, apparently he came very close. And what LeVar told the Collegian 10 years ago, he said, I've never gotten over that loss, which is really something. Uh, and, and it was it was a loss that that uh, it took, you know, I I think a big part of the, the quote-unquote dark ages were was a result of that loss. You know, they went on, and you know this, you cover them, they went on and lost to Michigan and Michigan State. Two close games. But after that, Joe, I, mean, I think he was a, he got out of whack. You know, Sandusky retired. Mm-hmm. They're now Golden. Bobby White, who had never coached before. And I think, you know, <laughs> Joe, Joe then made Tommy Bradley and, and, and Ganner in charge of the offensive defense rather, oh, than, right. rather than the coordinator. And I, that was, uh, in some ways, I think it was, uh, goes back to even that game, Rich, because someone within the program who coached the defense had said that Cherry in the Minnesota game was getting too tricky. And so, you know, if, if you're Joe, you're looking back to that game and getting too, you know, getting too, too cute, cute, as he would say. And that yeah. may be drilling down too much to that game. And that last drive, but I think it had it had big ramifications. Well, let me let me ask you. So the next the the following week. Well, but let me before I go into the following week. What I remember when that kick was a thirty-two yard field goal by a freshman named Dan Nystrom. He makes the kick, and I remember I was still in the press box upstairs. The place was silent. And it, if, and it felt like right. like literally that the air was sucked out of the whole stadium. I, I've never heard the stadium that quiet before. And no one moved, right? No, I mean, nobody moved. No people were right. People, right. People were frozen in the in their either in their seats or, or where they were standing. It, it, I've never I, I will never forget that. Um, so the following week they play Michigan and they're up 27, 17. After a Baoju interception return, I think, and I think it was like nine or ten minutes left, and the Michigan quarterback leads them <laughs> leads them on a comeback. Somebody we might have you might have heard of, Tom Brady. And hey, you know, when I went back to review this, let me think about that. You're facing Brees and Brady in the same season. In the same, in a matter of three weeks, yeah. Or four weeks. They had three picks on Brady. When was the last time Brady had three picks? Yeah. Might have been back in 1999. Yeah. It was crazy. And he he led Michigan to a 31-27 comeback win. And then the following week at Michigan State, I I thought it was a – I mean, 
Penn State played really hard. And I, what I remember is that the tight end for Penn State, John Gilmore, who's from Wilson High School here in the Reading area, um, caught a pass along the sideline, and I, and he went he went to turn, and either he lost it, and a Michigan State player took it from him, or so, I just remember he, it was a turnover, and I with this is without looking at my notes, and Michigan State ran out the clock, and for that team to lose three straight, I never thought they that they collapsed because of how they, I mean they they it wasn't like they got drilled by Michigan or Michigan State, but what what is your take on those? the Michigan and Michigan State game. Like, what's what's your feeling on that? Like, I, I just thought they had nothing left after Minnesota. Well, my memory for all these years was that the word collapse is a good one, Rich, is that I thought it was a collapse. And then when I went back and looked at the scores and how they lost, yeah. Michigan State, they were tied 28-28. They right. gave up the big lead to Michigan. They were close games. Right. But I think... I think they 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 lost their edge and they lost their edge different uh, defensively. And I think that's a little bit different with this mm-hmm. this team. I mean, when you look at you know the last those three games, they gave up twenty four, they gave up thirty one, they gave up thirty five. It would be unless you're looking at Ohio State, it we would be stunned if the Penn State defense gave up that right at this point. Right, I. And you know, then be, before we get to back to before we get to the comparisons with the 2019 team, Mike, the the irony of it is they go to the Alamo Bowl, and they just stomped Texas A&M. I don't remember what Texas A&M's yardage was, but it wasn't much, 24 nothing. And you're wondering, like, this team is 10 and three. They could be, <laughs> they could be 11 and one, they, or, or or 12 and one. They could be 13 and 0. I mean, well, when I look back at that, there's there's two things, and I, I kind of shared that with about Sandusky freelancing a little bit, getting a little loosey goosey at the end of the Minnesota game, um, and I think that was always the criticism of Lavar, right? That um, that it, it, in some way, not quite as much Mike as Mike is like that, but I think you had you had the, the star player and you had the star coordinator, even though Courtney Brown was sensational as a sack oh. guy. And Brandon Short, I think, has always been underrated as that steady mm-hmm. guy. Mm-hmm. Or that Cam Brown or Jan Johnson. Um, but I think if if the defensive coordinator and the star linebacker had a little less ego, I, I think you know it would have turned out a little differently. Yeah, I think you might be right. We're talking with Mike Porman from statecollege.com uh, about the – Penn State's 1999 season. Mike, let's shift gears with 2019. Compare the how would you compare the two teams, the 99 team to this 2019 team? Well, you you know you made a great point, and and Lavar and, and Brown went one two, and Short you know Short had a very long long career, all American, and um, this the Penn State defense now is. Is much better. I, I, I think uh, the the defense is much better, and you know the offense is. Uh, they didn't have a thousand yard rusher. They don't have a thousand yard rusher this year. Uh, but the one thing is, is that I think the schedule was was tougher then. I think when you throw in, I mean Miami mm-hmm. and Arizona, yeah, and then Pitt was Pitt was a close game. Um, 
uh, and you because you're only looking at eight conference games then. Um, but I think I, I think the um, conference schedule was tougher. I think the non-conference schedule was tougher. But I think that this year's defense is a term I've been using the last two weeks. Like they're generational, and the they are generations are every fifty years. And the 1999 defense, 2019, that's a generation 20 years. 2019 defense is better than the 1999 defense. Yeah, that's quite a statement. And I I can't disagree with you because, I I mean, I don't see – you had said this a few minutes ago, but I don't see a team other than Ohio State scoring more than 20 points against them. I just don't. I I mean, and I don't know if Ohio State will or not. I'm not saying – I'm saying – I could be wrong, but I don't see Minnesota, Indiana, well, and we know not Rutgers scoring twenty against them. And yeah, I think Minnesota may get may get twenty one. Okay, and they're but they're but you know again they've been beating up on on uh, you know the the bottom of the bottom of the Big Ten. But um, you're right. I mean, twenty one against them is it's hard to concede. Although yeah. here's the thing. Is Michigan, save for the drop pass, would have scored mm-hmm. 21 on three consecutive drives. True, true. We sometimes yeah. forget that, yeah. that part of, yeah. uh, of the Michigan game. Hmm. Well, I mean, I think, you know, you look, it's funny that in 99, Kevin Thompson and Richard Casey alternated at quarterback. This year, you have four guys alternating at running back. Um, you had a really good wide receiver in Chaffee Fields in 99 who scored that unbelievable touchdown against Miami in the last minute uh, minute, minute or so to win that down at the old Orange Bowl. And then you have K.J. Hamler, who's on another level in terms of speed and, and moves. Um, but I think you're right. I think defensively as a group, I think the 19 team is better. You're probably not going to – well, I, I shouldn't say probably. Chances are you're not going to have a first-team All-American because the playing time is so divided. Uh, none of these guys is able to pile up a lot of stats. Uh, so you're not going to have three first-team All-Americans on defense, but depth and speed, I, I, I would give this defense the advantage over that one. Well, I think kind of the hidden secret is, is – is Brent Pry, and I guess he's not hidden, and he's not a secret. I don't think he gets the credit he, he deserves for keeping and, and molding all the different parts. You know, the, the, the calls that he makes. I mean, they're running so many people in and out, uh, and directing the you know directing defense. And I think the other thing that and I don't think anybody's talked about this, but Micah's success, a lot of Micah Parsons' success is Brent Pry's success. I mean, Mikey came in with a lot of talent, but incredibly raw talent. And, and Brent, not only as defensive coordinator, uh, but also as linebacker coach, has spent re- really, I don't want to say an inordinate amount of time, but the you know, little practice time we get, he's talking to Micah all the time, doing practice, walking off the field. I mean, I think Parsons' development um, in many ways is a tribute to, to Brent as a coach, but then also how he's deployed. Uh, so anyway, uh, uh, I think that's kind of a hidden secret of the defense this year. Mike, last thing from me: what do you what do you expect 
to happen the next four games, starting at Minnesota on the ninth? I think Minnesota scores more points than than. Well, I guess Michigan scored twenty-one. I, I three wins and a loss. I'm, I'm not. I'm like everybody else. I just think Ohio State um, is going to shut down Penn State's offense, and it's a twenty-one, twenty-four to fourteen game. Uh, and and Penn State goes to the Rose Bowl. It's it's not the year everyone expected. It's much better, but. Um, it's the year they're going to get, and I think what happens after this season, you're not asking, but I think what after this season, I see, I think you see people leave early. I think you see people go to the portal. Everyone was pointing towards next year, and these days in college football, you take what you can get when you can get it. That is well said, by the way. I, I, I completely agree with you. Mike, thank you for the time. Appreciate it. And you Redding Eagle folks, you got a gem in Richie, man. He's the... He's called the dean for a lot of reasons. Uh, what he says is gold and true. So happy to be on, Rich. Thanks for having me. I'll put the check in the mail. Thanks, Mike. You can find this Bye. podcast on RedingEagle.com and wherever podcasts are available. We welcome your feedback. You can find my content in the Reading Eagle and Media News Group publications in the Philadelphia area and on RedingEagle.com. You can find links to my stories on Twitter at Nittany Rich. We'll return next week when we look ahead to Penn State's Big Ten Showdown at Minnesota. This has been the Nittany Rich Show. Thanks for listening.